commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the contracting experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. In this episode, we sit down with Colonel Eric Oberfell, Deputy Director of Contracts at Air Force Lifecycle Management Center. Colonel Oberfell explains what psychological safety is and why it's important in our Air Force organizations. He also speaks to the value that personal growth adds to Air Force missions and how to know when you need a mentor and when you need a coach in your career. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome, Colonel Oberfell, to the podcast. All right. Thanks, Amber. Yeah. Sir, you've had the opportunity to be involved in some unique and interesting job positions in your career. Can you give the audience some insight into your background that has led to your current position as Deputy Director of Contracting and Air Force Lifecycle Management Center? Hey, Amber, thank you very much for having me here. I would like to say it was uh, something I did, but really it was a timing issue that led to my current position of being the Deputy Director of Contracts for Lifecycle Management Center because uh, Colonel Colossi got picked up to command at DCMA, Dayton, and my wife got picked to be a squadron commander at, for 338th Recruiting Squadron in Dayton. So that, thank goodness our career field does an amazing job of keeping spouses together. So I ended up here at Lifecycle Management Center. But with that said, I think the key thing that's kept me in the Air Force so long and has allowed me to uh, open up doors for me is attitude, right? So I've always tried to have a really positive attitude uh, and try to make a difference in the organization. And that sort of leads to my why of what, why am I here and why do I really try to what do I try to bring to an organization? I'm always trying to improve things and then share that with others. So whether it be you know my family life, my uh, work environment, or my health, I'm always trying to improve and then trying to figure out how to share my lessons from uh, to others. So going back to the second part of your question, okay, what's led to this position? Uh, well, I've been around for 30 years, so it's a it's a long history. I'll give you a, a brief summary. Uh, of, of the, my experiences. I started at Space and Missile System Center uh, with a PCO of Miss Nancy Andrews, which is now she's famous. Uh, and she taught me all the basics of our system acquisition. From there, I went to the National Guard Bureau in Virginia and learned sort of enterprise type contracts. And then I had a really strange assignment where I went to Christchurch, New Zealand doing depot level maintenance uh, for aircraft for LC-130s going down to Antarctica. After that, I came home to Texas to be an assignment officer at AFPC and then moved up to AFPC CAG to be a speech writer. And then uh, following that, I went to uh, Air Command and Staff, then Squadron Command at Andrews. And then from Andrews, I got pulled out of command to go to deploy to DCMA Iraq. And after the deployment, I went to Air Staff for a, qu- a real quick stop uh, to do civilian workforce development. And then went to Squadron Command at Lackland Air Force Base where I had the opportunity to sponsor a thesis with uh, Bryce Fiacco and Dan Stevens, helped me figure out how to best implement joint basing as we we're just really embarking on that joint basing endeavor. After uh, Lackland, I went to STRATCOM in Omaha, Nebraska, where I was a PM of service contracts and had the opportunity to build a university-affiliated research contract, which was really fun. And I got to stay in Omaha for another year to do the Secretary of Defense Fellowship at Union Pacific Railroad which was a blast as well. Then I took command at DCMA Dayton and then followed that with uh, serving as the head of contract activity at SOCOM. 
where I also had the opportunity to sponsor another uh, MPS thesis and learned a lot from Moses Guzman, Kelly Wright, and Chuck DeCaney as they looked at uh, how we do enterprise sourcing for uh, Special Operations Command. Uh, and they wrote an article that was in the NCMA magazine as well, so really kudos to them. And then I followed that up with Director of Contracts for Air Force Research Lab for a brief, brief time, and then I came over to LCMC. Wow. Yeah, when I looked at your bio, I was like, man, he's been all over and in all these different, getting these different perspectives. And I just think it's awesome to see how that culminates with the, the, even just like the knowledge you're going to share with us today. So I'm excited. Well, thank you very much. I think uh, I've always pursued the interesting, most interesting opportunity, not necessarily the one that was on the career pyramid, but mm -hmm. what was the most interesting opportunity to me? And it, it's all worked out well. I've had fun doing it. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. So, sir, how can the workforce listening pursue personal growth that adds exponential value to other aspects of their lives, like at home, at work, to the Air Force, and our national security? So, anyone that knows me knows I'm like a lifetime learner, so I'm always reading books, listening to podcasts, like I love this one. Thanks for hosting the contracting experience. But I think it's really important because learning compounds, and sort of like compound interest, you know, it continues to grow, and then with that growth, you're able to increase your understanding and you start seeing connections that unleashes your creativity. I mean, all of us that have been contracting officers and know you're, you're learning the basic FAR type techniques and then you start getting more creative as you might, might learn a, earn a grants warrant or another transactions warrant. Um, that just unleashes a whole nother level of creativity. So I'm personally really curious about a lot of different things and I think uh, what I really try to do is Focus that curiosity through learning on whether like, I read a lot of books, I listen to a lot of podcasts, do a lot of YouTube. I code a lot of different uh, events. So two weeks ago, I was in Chicago at a procurement foundry uh, event that brought, and I was the only DOD representative from acquisition. It was all you know, Target, CVS, and all others. So I'm always seeking non-traditional paths to learn, mm -hmm. and then figuring out how to apply what I've learned in my daily work environment. So I think that's where we can really have exponential type learning is seeking out new opportunities and then figuring out how to apply it in our daily lives. And there's going to be lots of failures and that's okay. Um, but that's when we, when we fail, we learn again and then we can try again. So you said two things that I, I really want to highlight and that is creativity and curiosity. And I think in contracting, especially the folks that are out there, you know, executing their programs, we tend to get very focused in on exactly what we need to do because we have tight schedules. There's a lot of other complexities to our acquisitions. And so it's easy to get kind of like focused in, um, which, which keeps us from being creative and being curious, right? So I love that you touched on those two things um, because I think that's something that can really help even just the, whether it's the PCO listening to this, the, the contracting officer, um, procurement analyst, whoever is listening, contract data specialist, which we'll be talking about in a future episode, um, price or any of those, um, is just to think about how can I be more creative or how can I be more curious in my, in my position where I'm at today and how can that help me? Um, sometimes we, I think it's easy to feel like, well, that's going to take more time. I don't have time to do this. But sometimes it can actually give us time back if we realize, oh, we're doing something we may not even need to do. Um, yeah, if I could give you an example on that. So one of my heroes, Laura Fuller, who is now at SAF AQC, is uh, on one of our OI teams. She, we were at, in SOCOM together, and she was a contracting officer on a program for one of our PEOs, and we were at a PMR, and she... Uh, or, well, 
the program was in really bad shape. Five years, cost type contract, no higher TRL, uh, and we were out of money, right? So Laura was in with her program team and she recommended that we did a stop work order at that point, re-implemented competition through another transaction uh, agreement to several mm -hmm. and to develop a prototype. And then we would uh, do a fly off and get proposals and then go into EMD and, and production. And that was sort of like, whoa, that's, that's a big thought, a lot of change, mm -hmm. right? But at SOCOM, we have a smaller team, smaller portfolio, it's a ACAT2 program, it's not you know, huge dollars. And the PEO bought into it. So what we did, we did a stop work order with the big prime. We uh, developed a pathway to bring in uh, four more uh, contractors, non-traditional and traditional type contractors. We did OTs for prototyping. We got the proposals and went to EMD all within 12 months. So a failed program to, you know, we're in EMD in production within 12 months. It took a lot of work by Laura and her whole team, but it was an amazing effort of that creativity that came from the ground up. So no air staff or no, you know, headquarters team developed that acquisition strategy. It was people in the foxhole with the PEOs developing those strategies. And those are the ones that I really love. I'd like to give another example in my work with the education with industry folks. So I've worked with uh, EWE folks about five or six years and we send out um, probably eight or nine different folks, civilian, military, uh, officer and enlisted out to many companies, small businesses, venture capital, large companies to learn. And what they do, I'm always challenging them. I'm meeting with them monthly, sometimes daily to talk about what they're learning and, and how they bring that back. And a lot of them have had like national level impact during COVID um, based on their experience, like Curative, one of the companies that came out of uh, testing for COVID, we, were, we had a fellow in the company that, that developed that capability. And they went from seven people to 7,000 people in a one year. Wow. So having you know, a captain there understanding that perspective was really amazing. So, uh, and then bringing that back. And the folks that aren't able to implement that fast at a national level are going to make a change in our Air Force, in our yeah. national defense in the future based on the experiences they have. And that's something we got to continue to challenge folks is do whether we, when we send folks to SOS, ACSC, Air War College, EWE, whatever, as leaders, how are we challenging folks to implement what they've learned, not sit on it? Well, and what I like about that is you're getting them to reflect, right? Like we can, we can read all the books and listen to all the podcasts, but if you don't actually reflect on how that, how that can help you or how that can impact your organization or how you want to use that, then it kind of just sits in your brain, right? But if, if you can really think and reflect on how do I want to use this or how can this inspire me in my, where I sit, um, I think that's where things really start moving. Yeah, well, we're gonna talk about this in one of our future questions here, but the mentoring piece, right? So I think how do we Im impact or use this to impact the future or impact others around us? is sometimes you don't understand the full context. And by having mentors around you, uh, that can help you understand the context of the, uh, what you're learning and then figure out how to apply it in the future. Yeah. All right, so this is a great lead up to this question. Okay, so in your experience, when do people need a mentor and when do people need a coach? You know, I know you're a coach, Amber, mm -hmm. but I really haven't heard, I didn't, for the last five or 10 years or so, I didn't hear about coaching too much besides in sports, yes. right? So we always heard you need to have a mentor from day one, mm -hmm. right? And we, and I've had lots of mentors and mentor I think is really somebody that's uh, there that's got experience and can help you, um, can talk to you 
about their experience and then how maybe you can use their experience to move forward. I think coach is very different and I've had, I've been blessed to have coaches in multiple experiences now. Uh, my first one came out when I was a senior material leader at DCMA Dayton and DAU assigned a coach to me. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I didn't know really what to expect, but we went through a 360 evaluation, which I got great feedback from, you know, superiors, peers, and, and folks that worked with me as a teammates. Um, and I found out a lot of blind spots. So that was really good. But I think a coach really provides the tactical, you know, here's a problem I'm facing with my team, or here's a challenge I've got in my life. Mm -hmm. Help me develop like, what are some possible outcomes? And then create a strategy to pursue one of those outcomes. So in my view, the difference between a mentor, the mentor provides sort of perspective based on experiences. The coach provides tactical uh, steps to achieve a uh, specific goal or objective or improve things. So um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I, uh, I think it's like you said, I didn't really know what a coach was either 10 years ago. Now I am a coach and I love it, but I think there are distinctions between a mentor and a coach. And I think helping people understand that allows them to use it to their best abilities, right? To know like, okay, I do want to work through how, how do I need to get to the end goal of this problem? Like what outcome do I actually want from the situation that I'm in? And that might be more of a coach situation to help them work through that. Um, like you said, with a mentor, it's kind of help, helping give context to a situation based off of that person's experience. Um, and how I also like to explain it is, you know, with mentoring, you're almost trying to pull the wisdom out of that mentor, right? right. But with coaching, we're trying to pull the wisdom out of that particular person. Um, so, so yeah. So I guess let me just add on to that as well. Um, because sort of coaching sort of new to our culture, mm -hmm. I think some people are afraid to em engage coaching, right? Mm -hmm. So I've sort of sort of shared the message based on my experience with DAU. I know the Air Force has coaching resources you have uh, out there like, like yourself. I think that is amazing opportunities for our first line supervisors, second line supervisors. When you go to squadron command, you're gonna have challenges. I, I just wanna encourage folks not to be afraid to reach out to a coach and say, hey, help me through this process. And I would, I would challenge you, you know, a lot of folks reach out to me and I help mentor them, uh, but I'm not typically the coach for them, right? So I would say that's something that, reach out to a specific coach and get that coaching uh, that you need. Now, if you're gonna reach out to somebody that you would trust as a mentor, maybe be clear on what you want from them if it is like more of a coaching type of experience. Because as, if somebody reaches out for mentorship, I'm gonna give them something different uh, because sometimes when I try to give folks coaching, they don't want that, <laughs> right? Right, right? So I, w I would say if you're reaching out to, for help with coaching, just be clear on what your expectation is from the, the mentor or the coach uh, and be clear on who you're going to ask those questions. Right. And one key thing maybe to touch on is that coaching uh, as a coach, part of the ground rules are that our conversations are confidential. So that's a situation where, especially in a, in a culture like ours, where it's very, you know, we have our chain of command and all those things, it's important to have space to dive into issues or problems or challenges or even opportunities that you want to discuss and have that confidential space. So you don't have to worry about, well, I don't want to bring this up because I don't want my superior to find out or I don't want my employees to find out. And so I, that's another, I think, good distinction to make is that it is confidential. And so it really allows you the space to go where you need to go and not have to worry about like backlash off of somebody that's outside of that conversation. Yeah, and I think another on the alternate side, a mentor can be a sponsor too, yes. right? So yeah. because they don't have that confidentiality type mm -hmm. relationship, 
typically, you know, you're you're using discretion when you're a mentor um, and you're talking about things. But I think in our culture, we have these developmental teams that uh, our senior leaders sit on to help grow future leaders. Mm -hmm. And typically, those senior leaders are mentors for many of those in our career field. So they're also sponsors for some of those in our career field because they have those type of mentoring relationships. So uh, I would say that goes hand in hand. So when you're, you do need to have a mentor, mm -hmm. you want to have someone that could also possibly be a sponsor, yeah. something to consider. Yeah, that's a great point because they can help make connections that maybe you don't even know about or with different people depending on your interests or what's next in your career. So that's a really good point. All right, so you've been involved in several organizations where risks cannot be avoided. Can you explain what psychological safety is and how listeners can create psychological safety for their teams? You bet. So I believe psychological safety is the belief that you will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up, questioning, or making a mistake. As a leader, I think you need to explicit, be explicit in creating a safe environment, create ways for everyone to speak up, share ideas, establish norms for handling failure, and embrace productive conflict. So I want to give a quick example on how I've seen this in action. Uh, when we were at SOCOM, one of the first things the acquisition executive said to me and several of the PEOs was, I want you to experiment boldly. There's nothing that you can do that I can't undo in 24 hours. So just that top cover of a leader really encouraging us to, as a team of uh, PEOs and directors, to try something new with the, the backup that he can fix it, you know? He is not gonna let us fail uh, as a team. So I think that really created that environment where we were all willing to uh, put out ideas that might be non-traditional to, to really test the waters. So th that piece was really important to me. And I think one of the other things we did at SOCOM that I've talked about at LCMC, it, 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 because of the scale is so challenging, it's hard to get our hands around it, is what we did, we took the failures and the successes that we learned through that environment and we shared them at what we called home days at SOCOM. Once a month, we would have the first Monday of the month, we would have a time where folks weren't supposed to be TDY and we all got together in uh, an auditorium or on Zoom when it was COVID and talked about uh, our lessons learned, whether it had been from a big program failure or a big program success. Mm -hmm. So we would talk about uh, all the details and it would be the contracting officer and the, the uh, program manager up on stage doing the talking. So the really interesting piece that I saw come from that was the other contracting officers and the PMs in the crowd heard what was happening and immediately were able to apply that to their acquisition scenarios. Whether like, hey, here's a ch challenging problem. I can reach out to this PCO or this PM and we're gonna try that uh, tactic, technique, or procedure mm -hmm. to get after our problem set. So that took like grassroots problem solving to the next level and it's, it really scaled fast. So I think that kind of, um, you know, owning your failures and owning your successes and then sharing it uh, amongst a broad audience really compounds the ability to uh, move fast. Well, and I think, you know, I know you said like an LCMC can be challenging because there's so many different programs and there's so many things going on. But even I'm thinking back to my time in the F-15 and I mean, th there were several different groups. There were two uh, USAF groups, there was FNMS branch, and we're all negotiating or communicating with the contractor in different, you know, at the same time. But a lot of times, sometimes we're not 
cross sharing what's going on because of time or schedules or whatever. And so maybe it's even just like a monthly get together, like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys dealing with? What, did, what what's, what's your team dealing with? Because there was a lot of times where there were things going on that probably could have played off of each other that because, because everything was, the schedules were tight and people were just trying to march to that tune. And like I said before, kind of staying in that, in that focus space, it didn't allow us to really do that. And it really puts us kind of in a tough position, right? Because, because there's, you know, the contractors know what they're doing and they, you know, there's a plan and all that. So, um, so I think that's a great point. And I think that's something that even at a smaller scale, whether it's within your branch um, or, or your overall division, that those are things that can happen. It's really just takes that, that facilitation and getting the group together and allowing that space for people. Yeah, so that's a great point. I, mean, I think this goes in even, you know, national level conflict or challenges with our business relationships. Where there's seams is where there's going to be challenges, right? And that's where our enemies, you know, at a national level or our uh, contractors are going to exploit the seams, right? So uh, Christy at AQC has done a great job as we put together uh, an SME in, for the Boeing Enterprise and tried to understand better amongst our enterprise partnership. Uh, how we're doing with that. And SAF AQC right now has operational imperative teams that we're trying to do something similar for each major prime that's supporting an operational imperative where we would understand like across, you know, our portfolio, what Lockheed's doing on these operational imperatives and be able to understand how we're talking to Lockheed and how we're trying to uh, manage priorities to get after our operational imperatives. So the scale is really challenging. That's yeah. one of the things I asked, you know, Mr. Gertz when he went to the Navy and, and came back and talked to us at SOCOM. Wow, how do you go from our $5 billion portfolio to the $50 billion portfolio? And he said, you know, still the basics of leadership. You got to really just take one issue at a time and then just try to really grow people and then create those communication systems across the organization, which it is harder at scale, but it doesn't mean, you know, you give up, right? You keep trying that communication. And sometimes it's just understanding uh, the process of communication when the programs are so big, right? Of that, we may be having our, our, our team, you know, the PCO, the program manager, the specialist, talking to the contractor in negotiation, but there's a whole different levels, you know, that go up in both organizations where, and on the contractor side, they may not have the authority to say yes. And that authority may be several levels above that person that we're actually negotiating with. And so it's, it's having, um, allowing our teams to recognize that and say, okay, we need to start working with our management to communicate that we need to talk to who's going to be able to say yes, who's going to be able to make that handshake, right? Um, and so there's so much time and, you know, back and forth that I, sometimes I think gets wasted, but it's also part of the process and understanding that this is the process and sometimes we have to work within that in order to get to the end goal um, is helpful, but it's definitely challenging when you're in the middle of it for sure. I've been there as the captain, unlimited warrant, you're trying to negotiate a, you know, multi-billion dollar contract and you've got all the authority that, that you need as an unlimited warrant holder yet they got you know the contractor has to keep going back and when i was a hca at socom i had to call uh, my peers and say our our person has all the authority that they need at the table please make sure you're you bring the right people to make decisions so i think that our leadership is backing up uh, mr braswell's made those calls general trevino's made those calls as well uh, our leadership stands by the pco and the agreement officers that are out there doing the job and, and are having those conversations with primes and some of the non-traditionals 
to bring the right folks to the table. So uh, we've got the right leadership support, but it is yes. it is frustrating in the first maybe time or two when that happens. Right, and sometimes you may just you may need to communicate that with the program management side of the house, right? Because maybe they're they just moved into this position, or they're you know it's something that they're dealing with that might be new. So it might just be helping to communicate, hey, this is how it works sometimes, and we're going to get through it, and yeah. <laughs> we all got to work together, and here's what you can expect, type thing. Exactly right. All right, sir. So what is your equation for success? And what is one or two things you would like to leave the acquisition workforce with as your date of retirement with the Air Force draws near? Hey, thanks for asking that. And my equation for success, I know some people think this is sort of weird, uh, but I got it from a SOCOM commander that talked to us as Zo6 leaders. And I think this applies in our business as well as operations. Respect plus trust equal opportunity. So when we mean respect, each of us need to bring our A-game every day to the business environment, to our work environment. So you need to be the best you possibly can as a contracting officer. We all have distractions at home. I've got five kids and you know I know that's a challenge, but I need to bring it. And then when I don't bring it uh, or my, my team doesn't bring it, I need to give them a little grace, right? I uh, need to make sure that I understand, hey, this person's trying to do the best that they can. Um, and that's where that trust comes in. Because I respect them as uh, a teammate, that I trust that they're doing the best they possibly can. Uh, and then when we respect each other and we trust each other, that creates an opportunity for us to create new solutions to get after problem sets. And I think that that's so important um, because we've all been in situations where, you know, maybe you've just joined the team and people are sizing you up and there's, there's not that trust level there. So if folks don't trust you, they're gonna question every decision you make. They're gonna mm, always check you. So that creates a little, just, you know, micro opportunity. We're at a point in our uh, national defense where we, we need a lot of opportunity space. So we need to make sure that we're bringing our A game, we trust each other, and we create opportunity for us to win. Mm -hmm. So the second part of the question is a little bit more challenging, right? So how do I wrap up 30 years? Uh, I'm not gonna give my retirement speech here, <laughs> but I will give you a, three thoughts on where I'm, you know, what I think um, has kept me in and really gives me a lot of hope about our future. So first, if you looked at my LinkedIn profile right now, it says, hey, I joined the Air Force for four years because I wanted to learn a transferable skill. So I came into contracting. I got that transferable skill. I interviewed and there were, I had a lot of great jobs at four years to get out, but I found I'd really fell in love with the people. And it's not just the officers enlisted, it's civilian workforce folk, everyone. Uh, I really loved the people that I worked with. And I loved the mission that we had for our national defense. And I loved the fly fighter win um, part of that as well. And I felt part of that. So my, my point of that would be take care of each other, right? So uh, you never know what your, your airman, your wingman, your battle buddy, you know, seaman next to you is going through. Um, you know, I've been on the highs and I've been on the lows. And, and that's sort of what's kept me in is that my, my battle buddy or my, my wingman next to me has is, is held me by the hand or pushed me forward to get that next step. So take care of each other would be the first one. The second one, uh, our warriors depend on us, right? So I was about to get out at that four-year point. This is at like 2001, I got deployed and I was out with a, a bunch of operators and, and I was talking to one of the operators like, hey, I'm, when I get out, when I get home, I think I'm gonna get out. And, he's, and the guys had just got off his operations doing the things that they do at night. And he's like, hey, if you don't provide food for me, a place to sleep at night, uh, radios, trucks, I can't do my job. 
I'm like, Ooh, wow, maybe I do have an important role here. Our operators depend on us, whether you're downrange, actually, you know, hands in the fight or providing the weapon systems that our sons and daughters are going to use uh, to fight the next fight. They depend on us. So what I would say to that one is you need to get after it. Get after it every day. Uh, move with a purpose and get it right. Like I said, our daughters and our sons depend on the capabilities that we're going to provide. And then one of the things that I hit on a couple of times about um, just implying what we learn, take initiative now. We need, so I think we all sort of get uh, what my, one of my mentors told me, Zig Ziglar, we all get cooked in the squat, right? We just sort of, we don't move on ideas that we have. We don't take initiative to try. Uh, we are not too big to fail. The Roman Empire failed, right? So if we don't take action and implement things now, uh, we will fail. Uh, and that's, this is not, you know, 2050. This is, you know, 2027 when our enemies are at our doorstep trying to uh, break us down. We're in a combat posture now, and we need to take action, to take initiative, uh, to try big things now. So I've got confidence that we've got the right leaders in place, you know, whether it be the folks in EWI I deal with every day or the 200 folks in LCMC, um, the officers enlisted I get to deal with every day and, and support, or the 2,000 civilians in, in LCMC. I know we've got the right talent out there that can deliver on the capabilities for our operators and uh, take care of each other to get the mission done. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Well, sir, I want to thank you for being on the podcast, but more importantly, I want to thank you for your 30 years of service and making an impact for the Air Force and, and our military members and our country. So thank you. Thank you, Amber. And I really challenge you to keep this going. I, I listen to it every, every week or every time I get a, a new episode comes out, and I appreciate uh, what you do to push the knowledge boundary forward and then keeping our community tight. Thank you. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.